Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. We are in a series called The Walking Dead, and we really weren't uh, as smart as people. How many of you know like the season premiere is, is it today? Tonight, this week, something like that. Some of you are excited. Again, I've never watched the show. There's nothing about zombies that really appeals to me. Um, but for those of you who do, it's very exciting. Last night, I, I put a picture up just encouraging people to be here today, and I put hashtag The Walking Dead, and I had all these weird Walking Dead fans liking my status. And I was like, wow, I just blew up. I'm like, wow, our church is so excited to be there tomorrow. And it's like, you know, dead man, walking guy, you know, like all these weird Walking Dead fanatics. And so for those of you who are some of those people, we're glad you're here today. Uh, but we started a, a series last week and just really talked about how that really all of us are zombies until we find our creator and make that connection with Christ. And we need to, in order to awake from the dead, we have to be born again and to fully live uh, the life that God wants us to live, that we don't just get through life, but man, we actually can thrive in life and enjoy all that God has for us. For over the next couple more weeks, we're going to talk through how do we really live life to the full? What do we need to do to experience that? A few years ago, I had a surgery on, uh, I guess it wasn't even a surgery, it was more of a procedure uh, on my throat. I needed to get it stretched, stretched out. I was actually choked on a piece of steak and they saw that my throat was too small. So I go in and they just give you that, it's not anesthesia, but it's a quick like, you're out for a few minutes, they do it and then you're, you wake back up. And as I was, it was right after we had moved from Oklahoma, or I'm sorry, from Missouri a few years ago. And so I can remember kind of like coming out of the the, the anesthesia or whatever it was. And so I'm like, and they're wheeling me out to the car. My dad actually took me to that procedure because it was so early and Jess had to stay home with Riley. And so I'm going out to the car and, and it was like a Friday and it was a Ohio State game was the next day. And so this nurse had on like a Buckeye shirt. And in my mind, I lived in Missouri still. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're a Buckeye fan? I never see Buckeye fans around here. And she's like, yeah, you know, she knew like, you know, that I was out of it still. And, you know, and, and, and I was probably saying other things that didn't make any sense. So I was like, I was, I was awake, but I was still kind of asleep, right? Have you done that before? Like when you were kids or you have kids that talk in their sleep? Right when I was little, like we, my, me and my siblings would literally talk to each other while we were sleeping, not awake. Maybe your your spouse is says things in their sleep right at night, and you can have a conversation, and they they don't even remember it. Or maybe you even actually sleepwalk. Is anyone here like, hey, I, I've done that before? Like I sleepwalk. Some of you, right? It's, it's kind of a scary thing, right? You like wake up and you're like, okay, where am I? What am I doing here? Kind of thing. But it's kind of that way in our walk with, with God sometimes, that, that we wake up and we understand who God is and maybe it's an experience at church or you accepted Christ, but then we still kind of find ourselves asleep. Ephesians five fourteen is our theme verse for this series and it says, awake, look at your neighbor and say, wake up. If you're, still, if you're sleeping already, you better go get coffee right now. Because we still got some time left. So wake up. He says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Be careful how you've lived. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So even after we accept Christ, the enemy, the devil, will try to lull you back asleep. 
Even though you are awake, we can still kind of sleepwalk through life. Dead people walking, coasting, zombies getting through life. That's where the enemy wants to keep us. First Peter 5.8 says that you need to stay alert. Another translation says, wake up. That we need to wake up to the reality that watch out. You have a great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We don't like to talk about the devil that much. And when we do, you know, it's like this month is like Halloween month. It's kind of like the evil month, whatever it is. We're, we're more alert to scary things. They're on TV. The Walking Dead is premiering tonight, you know. And we're, we're kind of more alert to those things. But the reality is, is that is, is, is God is, has a plan for you and he wants to give you life to the full. That there's someone else that wants to rob you of that life. That he wants to attack you. He wants to devour you. He wants to rob you. He wants to keep you asleep to all that God has for you. In fact, it may be that you're actually going to heaven. The belief is there. You've accepted Christ. You've received salvation. But he literally wants to drag you through hell on your way to get there. And the Bible says that you need to watch out, to be alert, to wake up to the fact that we need to know the tactics of the devil. And any kind of uh, war and everything that's going on over in the Middle East and ISIS and all these things, right? There's so much strategy that goes into that. To the, they have intelligence. They, they monitor things from satellites. They watch every move. They're, they're very strategic in what they do. And that's how the Bible is describing the enemy. He says he watches you. Some other translation says he stalks you like a lion. He waits for the opportune time to devour you, to rob you, to to take away everything that God wants to do. And sometimes we think it's like this, this massive attack and it's sickness, it's cancer, it's, it's, it's all these things. That, and it can very well be, but sometimes I think the enemy just wants to lull you to sleep. He wants you to keep it on cruise control. Hey, I'm, I'm okay, but I'm not thriving the way that God wants me to. So what do we need to do? What do we need to watch out for? Because again, it says, watch out, stay alert, wake up to the fact today that the enemy just wants you to be a sleepwalker through life. What do we need to watch out for? How does he keep us from living life to the full? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about today. So the enemy, again, he wants to keep you dead. He wants to keep you as dead people walking. And the way that he does that, first off, is death by distraction. Death by distractions. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection. This Apostle Paul talking, he says, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So we see there, what are some things that we're realizing in this passage? He's, first of all, he's saying that, that life is kind of like a race. How many of you feel like that? It's just busy. It's a race. And so the way that we can get distracted from that is by kind of veering off course, not keeping our eyes on Jesus and what he has for us and running and pressing on in the right direction. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us again run with endurance the race 
that God has set before us. We do this. How do we run this race? How do we stay on course? He says, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So the enemy, what does he want you to do? How does he law you? How does he keep you from pursuing the life, the abundant life that Jesus promises us in his word for those who love him and are following him? He tries to do it by distraction. He tries to distract you from the purpose that you really have. So both of these passages instruct us of two things, that we're in a race, that we have to run, that we have to run, we can't just coast through life, that we actually have to press on and focus on Jesus and where he is taking us. Distraction can be a very deadly thing. Especially now, you see all over the news all the time. You know, probably most familiar, what we see on local TV here is Dom Tiberi's daughter, Maria's message. How many of you have heard of that before? What's going on? That she was killed by, by being distracted while she was driving. And I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but, but texting while you're driving. It's, it's, it's an epidemic. It's killing thousands of people. You know, every year people are dying because people are distracted. And it's not because people aren't good drivers, right? It's not because they don't know how to drive. It's not because they don't know where they're going. They, they, they have a direction where they're, they're heading. I'm trying to get from here to there. They know where they're going, but they're, they're distracted. They're, they're pulling a phone out, whatever it is, and, and they're veering off course. And they're crashing and not getting to the destination that, that they want. And that's what the enemy does to us. God has a destination for us. The scripture here is, is saying that it's a race that you have to run. And the only way to achieve what God has for you is to keep your eyes forward, to move ahead, to press on, to look to Jesus. And the enemy tries to kill you by distracting you. What does he distract us with? What does he try to pull your attention away from? It's many things. It's sometimes we just get busy. We get busy with the wrong things and he distracts our attention from that. Maybe it's uh, a sickness. Maybe it's something that's going on in your family and he tries to pull you away. God doesn't love you. If that, if God loved you, why would this happen to you? And he pulls your attention away. He begins to bring the focus back on us. He begins to bring the focus to the circumstances around us and the trouble that we're in. And Paul's saying, look, the scripture tells us that trouble's gonna come, that distraction is gonna be there, but the only way that you can press on, the only way that you can get to the destination, the destiny that God has for your life, the purpose, life, life to the full, living abundant, having joy and peace, all those good things that God promised us, he says, you gotta stay focused on Jesus. You have to keep looking forward, pressing on. But many of us get pulled away. We keep running towards the wrong things. We keep running towards the wrong goals, distracted, heading to a finish line that that isn't going to be where we want to end up. We get distracted by our job and careers and finances, and we, we give our best, and we begin to run in a direction that God never intended us to go. This week I had breakfast with a friend, a lifelong friend of mine, and his wife's grandfather was, was on his deathbed, was, was, was about to die, and uh, his name was John Bell. I think we have a picture of John. His story stuck with me this week. That's John with his son, uh, Dave, and it's my, my, my good friend's father-in-law. John is, was 91 years old. He, he did pass away on Friday morning. He was 91 years old. He was married for 67 years. To his wife. He had eight children, 29 grandchildren, 35 great 
grandchildren. And this is Brian was telling me his story. He said, Kyle, you know, he said, I just, I look up to him so much and, and I want it, you know, I, I see the life. He goes, all of his kids, all eight of them, he goes, are, are, are there in this room with them. And they take turns being there and all of them are here. Some of them flew in from other parts of the country because they wanted to be here for their dad. And he said, you know, my family, most people's families I know, he goes, everybody's got some stuff in the closet. Everybody's got some, you know, relationships that are strained or whatever it is. He goes, but not this family. He goes, I try to find it. He goes, when something goes wrong in this family, he goes, a couple years ago, someone's roof was bad. He goes, five of the brothers showed up and they, they put the new roof on. He goes, that's just how they are. The cousins, they all get together, this huge family. And as we're talking about this story, he said, you know what was most important to this man? He said, his faith in Christ and his family. That's what was most important to him. He said, they lived in a three bedroom house with eight kids that they raised them in this ranch. He goes, that he invested in his children. He invested in his family. And we look at his life now and we go, look at the legacy he's left. Eight children still loving each other in relationship with each other. Grandchildren, 29 of them, 35 great children, all of them coming together to support him as he gets to press on, as he reaches his prize, Jesus said, that, that throughout life, what I respected most about John is that, that he wasn't distracted. I'm sure there were times that come, but at the end, his family speaks of his legacy. They said he invested his best in Christ and in us. And because of that, he left a legacy that will live on well beyond him. And I look at that and I go, that's what I want for my life. That's what I want when I'm on my deathbed is for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to gather around me and say, you did well, Pop. You did well. You can go. Go to heaven. It's your reward. It's where you get to go. Because I invested my best where it mattered most in my faith in Christ and in my family. Ecclesiastes Solomon, who had tons of wisdom, wrote this book and he said in chapter four, verses seven through eight, he said, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun, something meaningless in this world. There's a case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all meaningless and depression, depressing. So he's warning that when you invest the best of yourself into your career, into promotion, into other things other than your faith in God, in the family that he's blessed you with, he says it's meaningless and depressing. As I heard John's story, it stuck with me all week. And I said, you know what? That's how I want to die. I want to die with loved ones surrounding me and the people I impacted for Jesus waiting on me. The two things that matter most in this world, that we can invest the very best of what we have, your gifts, the talent God's given you, your time, your resources. He says, invest your best where it matters the most, and that's in people. It's in people. It's the only thing that's eternal. It's the only thing that when you're laying there, like John, on your deathbed, knowing that your time's come to an end, you're not going to care about your career anymore. You're not going to care about how much money you have in the bank because guess what? It doesn't go with you. The only thing you're going to care about is that I invest my best in what mattered most, my faith in Christ, my family, and the enemy. What he wants to do is to distract you from that. He wants you to invest the very best of what you have outside 
of God's plan for your life, outside of what matters most. And today, what John's story encouraged me to do is, Kyle, wake up. Don't get distracted. The church can be a distraction for me. It's my job. It's what I do. It's what I'm trying to grow. It's it's what I'm trying to invest in. Don't invest your best there. I love all of you. In this church, man, it's important to me. But I got to make sure that I'm investing my best at home, into my wife, into my kids, into my family, into people, showing them who Christ is, pointing them to the plan that he has. So the enemy will try to distract us, death by distraction. The second way is death by dissatisfaction. Mick Jagger said it best, I think, right? I can't get no, 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 no. It's, I can't get no, da-da-da. Yeah, you forgot the whole, like, da-da. That's important in the song, right? But that's what he said. I can't get no satisfaction. And the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants to, one, distract us, which is getting us to run in the wrong direction, getting us to run and invest the best of what we have in things that don't matter. And then in dissatisfaction is, is chasing things that you'll never catch. That will never truly satisfy you. Again, Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 11 says this. He said, I also tried to find meeting by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water and to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I, I brought bought slaves and both men and women and others who were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks and more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. When we went to plant this church, I had a conversation with someone who had recently found Christ. He said, you know, when I was in college, I just thought, as soon as I get married, as soon as I get a job, I'll, I'll be fulfilled. He said, I got married, had a job. Then it was, as soon as I can get my own business and I can begin to grow that, then, then I'll be fulfilled. Got his own business, began to have success in that, wasn't fulfilled. And he said, as soon as I have kids, that's the missing piece. That's what I need. And as much joy as they bring, he wasn't fulfilled. He's sitting there talking to me. And he goes, all my life, I thought the next achievement, the next mark of success, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. I would find what I'm looking for. And he said, it wasn't until I found Christ that the void was filled to when the light came on, to when I woke up to the life that God had for me and what Christ had for me and the purpose he had and how he wanted to use my life. He goes, it was then and only then did I truly experience something that really satisfied me. And there's a thirst in everyone's soul that I believe God places there that will only be quenched by him. And he says, you can chase all this other stuff. Solomon lists through it what success was. 
And he begins to list out all the material things that he had in his life. And he said, at the end of it all, when it all came down to it, he goes, it was meaningless. A life of success without Christ at the center of it all is meaningless. And so the enemy tries to keep you asleep by dissatisfaction, by chasing things that will never truly satisfy you. And until we wake up to the fact and the plan of God that he created us until creation is connected with their creator, that longing is always going to be there no matter how much money you have, no matter how big of a house you build, no matter what cars you drive, no matter how many children you have. It does, it, Solomon says, it doesn't matter. He goes, I had it all. I denied myself nothing. In the ways of the world, I was the most successful person who had ever lived. And at the end of it all, if I don't have Christ at the center of it all, It's meaningless. He goes on to a class. He says the only thing that really matters is that we fear God, that we live according to his plan. He goes, because the rest is like chasing the wind. You can't catch it. It never satisfies. And the enemy keeps so many people in our world, dead people walking because one, they're running in the wrong direction and then they're chasing things that will never satisfy them. They're bound up in addiction because they think alcohol is going to relieve and, and, and quench the thirst of their soul. It won't work. They're bound up in work and they're putting in 70, 80 hours a week and they never see their wife and kids because, because they think that that's going to be the thing that fills them up. And the enemy just says, keep chasing that. Keep chasing it. Keep running after it because you'll never catch it. And then unlike John, you're going to get to the very end and say, I never achieved anything. It was, it was meaningless. It was pointless. Dissatisfaction. Dead ends. How many of you have ever driven down a dead end road before, right? And you just kept going, right? You're just going, I'm just going to go, you know, especially men are like, hey, I think this is going to pan out. You know, there's going to be a side street here. I'll veer off before we get hit by the bus coming at us. Right. But but the only way. So so the enemy chasing the wind is like driving down a, a, a dead end street where we're on a crash course for disaster. And we don't know when it's going to end necessarily. We don't know when the wall is going to pop up and when we're not going to be able to get back on course. And the enemy does that. And we, we chase these things and, and they're dead ends. And for some of you, maybe you, you've hit the wall in your career and you thought, if I could do this, I'll be happy. Or maybe it was relationships and time and time again, you thought that you could find that fulfillment in another person and boom, another wall, another relationship, another relationship. And the enemy gets us chasing things that are always going to run us into a wall that until we wake up and get back on the course that God has for us, until we start chasing Christ and his plan and purpose for our life, it's going to be wall after wall after wall. Before we know it, year after year after year has added up. And we start looking at it like Solomon. We go, this was meaningless. It was pointless. And the enemy will get us to chase the wrong things. How many walls are you going to have to hit before you wake up? Before we realize the plan that God has for us? Because, again, the focus becomes on us, and the enemy wants you not to look at Christ. He wants you to look at you and what you can get and what you can achieve and, and to feed our flesh and to, to continue to feed that until we realize that 
It's going to lead us a place that we never want to be. Power, notoriety, fame, sex, addiction, all these things that people chase all the time. They're dead-end courses. They're on a crash course for disaster. He says you've got to deny your flesh, which is all about getting, and you've got to feed your spirit, which is all about giving. God's very clear in his word that when we give ourselves away, when we invest our best in what matters most, then and only then are we truly satisfied. More blessed to give than it ever is to receive. When we truly find fulfillment, the only thing that truly satisfies us is life in Christ, creation connected to their creator. It's the only thing that will quench that thirst. The quote I love the most, it says, the two greatest days of your life is the day you were born and then the day you discovered why. And what is that? That's Jesus. When you discover who created you and you're reborn into his plan and purpose for your life. And we're going to have more on that next week on how we can truly understand God's plan and understand the why behind our creation. So the enemy lulls us to sleep. He keeps us asleep with death by distraction, death by dissatisfaction. And lastly, the day is death by doubt. Death by doubt. How does the enemy keep us from living the life that we're created to live, following the plan and purpose for, that God has for our life? A lot of times it's doubt. In James 1, 2 through 8, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I love that. He kind of describes here, like, hey, look, here's the deal. You're going to have troubles. Consider it joy, because that just means God's working. Whenever there's the enemies coming against you, that means if you focus in the right direction and you're not chasing the wrong things, it means that God's working for you, that he's going to come, he's going to help you, he's going to give you strength. And he says, and all you need to do when you're facing those kind of things is ask God for wisdom, that he gives it generously to everyone, not finding fault in us, where it's not like, God, can you tell me what to do? Uh, You've been kind of bad this week. You know, found some fault in you, Kyle. No bueno, man. No wisdom for you. Good luck. You're on your own, buddy. He doesn't do that. He says he he gives it generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. But there's the but. Ah, Knew it was coming. There it is. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should never expect to receive anything from the Lord. Ah. Never expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Doubt leads to instability, leads to loss of direction, leads to loss of focus, which leads to loss of purpose. And only when we're living in God's purpose are we truly alive. Otherwise, we're walking dead. And so the enemy, if he can't get you by distraction and get you running down the wrong road, chasing after the wrong things that will never satisfy you, what he will do is throw doubt in there. Again, the Bible says that the enemy, the devil, his main uh, offensive weapon, his main mode of attack is lies. He lies to us. He whispers in your ear. He wants you to doubt that God loves you. He wants you to doubt that God can forgive you. It's the one thing that he always 
brings up in your face. Every time you, you feel like, man, I'm, 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 I finally am finding God's purpose. I'm finally feeling, feeling alive. He goes, remember that abortion? I'm finally going in the right direction. I'm finally chasing God. Remember your divorce? Remember what you did in high school? Do you remember those things? And he begins to throw those in your face. He doesn't just lie about our past, though, and our mistakes. He lies about your future. You really think God can use you? You think you're qualified to do anything good for God? Look at you. You're a mess. He begins to whisper lies. He tries to get you unstable and wavering. The Bible says when you get like that, God can't use you. Why? Because you're unstable. You can't run. You can't pursue what God has for you. You can't live in that abundant life because you're wavering. You're doubting. And so the enemy tries to to lie to us. He tries to get our minds full of doubt. And does God love you? Are you even saved? And today I'll say, yes, that all of us are messed up, (laughs) that all of us have issues, that all of us have disqualified ourselves from being able to. To, to have a life that we would want in Christ, to be used by him, to make a difference. All of us are jacked up. All of us don't deserve that. But the scripture says that even despite of that, that God loved you. It said, while we were yet sinners, not good, not deserving, not qualified. It says, while you were still messed up, Jesus went to the cross for you and he died for you. And that forgiveness is for everyone. Everyone, you can't do anything to disqualify yourself from the grace and love of God because no one deserves it. And that's the way he wanted it. That's what scripture says. It says it's a gift from God, not that anyone could boast to say, look what I did to receive God's love. And he says, all of us are messed up. So when the enemy begins to try to bring doubt into you and begins to doubt the call and the purpose that God has for your life, he'll go, you're messed up. You go, yep, I am. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. It's new every day. He begins to try to get you to doubt your calling and the purpose for your life. And you're not qualified to serve God. Your track record's no good. And so why even sign up to grab a towel and serve? Why even try to do it? Because you know you're just going to mess it up. Those are the things he whispers in your ear. But how many of you know that God has a, an awesome history and track record of using messed up people to do great things? Read your Bible. King David, the Bible described him as a man after God's own heart, that he was in line, man, that he knew God. He was anointed to be king. He had opportunity to to kill Saul, and he didn't. He always did the right thing. He always was pursuing God. He was known as the greatest king ever. Remember what he did? Had an affair with the soldier, someone that he had been fighting in the front lines with got another guy's wife pregnant, tried to call a massive cover-up, calls the guy home from war, tries to get him to sleep with his wife, so it looks like it's his kid. The guy refuses because he's loyal to his soldiers and says, I'm not going to do anything that they can't do. Why should I get to enjoy this? So David goes, what am I going to do? So the only thing he could do was to send word back to his commander to say, send this guy out to the front lines and make sure that he dies. And he's killed. And David tries to cover it up. And he was confronted 
But when he was confronted, what did he do? He repented. So he did the worst of the worst. I would venture to say that no one in this room has had a scandal that big in your life. If it is, don't come talk to me about it. Go talk to somebody else, okay? I don't know what to do with that. But none of us have messed up that great. None of us have that hanging in our past. And David went on. It's still known as one of the greatest kings because he repented. He was remorseful. He turned his life back. He got back on course. He was way off course. He was chasing the wrong things, thinking that this woman would satisfy. Because he was a man after God's own heart, he thought that would do it, and he got back on course. So today, if you're off course and you don't feel qualified, look throughout Scripture. God will equip you for what he's called you to do. I've never been a lead pastor before. I've never planted a church by myself before. There's times where I don't know what to do. But I know that God's there. I know that God will help me. I know that God will get me through it because I know this is what he's called me to do. He gets us to doubt God's love and forgiveness. He gets us to doubt our calling and purpose and makes us think we're not good enough to serve God and to fill the plan he has for us. And then I think he tries to get us to doubt God's promises for us. How can he distract you? How can he pull you off? And we think about what the devil tries to fill my life with, with worry with fear, anxiety, have a low offering week, and it's, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? No pressure today. Uh. (laughs) But that's what he does. And I know God's faithful. He's been faithful so many times throughout this journey of planting this church. I know he's going to come through without a doubt. But I do doubt. He does whisper that in my ear. Uh Uh-oh. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do if it's, Two bad, bad weeks. What, how are you going to figure this one out? What are you going to do if you outgrow this space? What, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I, he whispers those things. My fear, worry, my daughter. Heart issue, right? She's doing so well. I had the surgery. She's doing great, but it's still there. We just scheduled her December follow-up. Every time we have a follow-up, I think it, this could be the time where they say, it's not going as good as we thought it should or not as good as we want it to do. You're going to face another surgery and I begin to doubt and worry and fear and anxiety and those things come into my life and and I can get distracted from that and it pulls my attention off of where God wants it to be and I begin to again look at myself and my circumstances and and the, the situations and the problems I'm in and that's exactly where the enemy wants our focus to go. But instead he wants us, so he wants us to doubt God's promises but but what we need to do is to to dive into God's word. And I go, man, the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, not in my own power. The Bible says by his stripes that we are healed. That the Bible says that even in the midst of terrible situations that, that Jesus can bring peace that calms all storms. That his promises are true. That he does love me. That he does have a purpose. That he loves my kids. That he loves my wife. That he loves this church. And that he is going to come through. But the enemy tries to distract me and to get my doubt going in all these places. And so I can get overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And I'm totally not moving and pressing on to where God wants me to go. I'm I'm, I'm giving in to these things. And the enemy will always whisper that instead of the, the hope that's found in Christ. And the joy and the peace and the love and the forgiveness that he freely offers every one of us every day. I begin to think about the other things. So we have to get our focus back. And the only way that doubt is defeated is by faith. Faith. Trusting in God. 
knowing that God's promises that are for you and me, the Bible says, are yes and amen, that they will be. That they will be. Not that they could, that they might. No, they will be. That God will come through for you if we're focused on Him. And we're investing the best of what we have in Him and in people. That God will come through. But the only way we can know His promises is if we're reading His Word and investing that into our life and filling our hearts and our minds with the Word and the promises of God. Believing in them, trusting in them. The band's going to come. We're going to close out today. But, but where are you at? Man, the enemy, his goal is to, to rob you of, of the abundant life that God promises us in his word. He stalks you. He waits for his opportunity to, to spew those lies into your mind. And if he can't get you distracted, chasing after the wrong things, investing the best of what you had in other things, he'll begin to whisper that doubt. Before we know it, the years begin to stock up. And we can look back at our life and we go, man, I missed it. It's like I said in Ecclesiastes, I said, I did all these things, I had all this stuff. But at the end, it was meaningless. I don't know about you, I want to be like John Bell, man. I pray that I live healthy to 91. Pray that I'm got 67 years of marriage under my belt. Now the eight kids thing, that's not going to happen. <laughs> the two that I have are there and their kids and their kids' kids. And they're saying, good job, Grandpa. Good job, Dad. Thank you for leaving a legacy that's going to outlive you. You can go on now. It's your reward because I invested the best of what I had in what mattered most. The enemy wants to make you think that family isn't that important. That it, it, You'll get to it. Chase that career first. Keep stocking those things up. And he'll lie. Get us to chase things. Solomon said, it's meaningless. It's pointless. So today, I don't know where you're at in your journey with God. Maybe you've never offered your life to him and accepted the forgiveness and love of God. And maybe you've never felt good enough. Maybe it's your first time in church. I don't, I don't know your story. But what you can rest assured in is that God does, that he knows you very well, that he loves you, he created you, he's got an awesome purpose for your life, and you don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but that's what Jesus was all about, that even when we didn't deserve it, he offered it anyway, he gave of himself, he gave of love and mercy and forgiveness, and all we have to do is receive that gift, 